2: last week we talked about trans mississippi this week we're still in the western theater and we've got the book everyone's talking about civil war monitor magazine calls it among the best civil war books of 2014. civil war books and authors calls it the best edited essay collection of 2014. bill freeling of the Virginia Foundation for the Humanity. It says it features some of the best essays on one of the most crucial Civil War battles, Will Green at Pamplin Park, says it's simply one of the strongest Civil War anthologies I've had the pleasure of reading, and we can go on and on. It's called Gateway to the Confederacy, New Perspectives on the Chickamauga and Chattanooga Campaigns, 1862-1863. It's edited by Evan C. Jones and Wiley Sword, and we've got Evan Jones with us tonight on Civil War Talk Radio.
0: Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
1: You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to Prokopovichg at ecu. dot edu. That's P R O K O P O W I C Z G at ecu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio.
2: And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from the third floor of the ice-cold Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University here in Greenville, North Carolina. It's a chilly January night in 2015. We're not buried under snow, as some parts of the country are here. I hope if you're one of those folks in New England, all is well, and you're safely bundled up and listening to the show where it's not not too dangerous. Uh, Here it's just cold, Uh, not cold by Arctic standards, uh, but it's cold enough, and uh, our careful stewardship of the taxpayer resources means the heat is off in the building at this point, so I'm sitting here... uh, with my headset on and my jacket on and my tie on and rubbing my hands together. I cannot actually see my breath indoors, but we're getting there. Uh, Things stay tough here on the education front in North Carolina this week, and your hearts will bleed when you hear it. The annual Dean's and Chair's Retreat has taken a turn uh, for the worse. One of the Minor perks of being a department chair was that once a year, a local business consortium would donate money to the college for all the deans and chairs to go to a, a church camp, very Spartan accommodation on the inner banks, where we would walk along the beach for an hour and meet in meeting rooms for many hours and talk about the big issues and get away from the phone and the Internet. There was no connectivity out there, no wireless. You actually had to pay attention in meetings. Uh and it was and in the evening, we would uh, have a poker tournament, and the winning department would get a hundred excuse me a hundred dollars to use for supplies or something so uh it was it was fun and a good informal way to interact this year. we're down again uh they've they've taken away the church camp and the poker tournament and the overnight trip and turned it into a just a day long meeting uh, so I'll be spending this Friday all day in a meeting emerging at 5 o'clock to find literally hundreds of emails that will need to be answered over the weekend. Uh, there's, it's, it's one thing after another. Uh, that pales to the news I had to give to my fixed-term faculty this week that there was no guarantee we could rehire them after 8 years and 20 years respectively, telling your colleagues, um, sorry, the, the money has gone, your jobs are on the cliff's edge is, is not a pleasant thing to do, uh, but that's what they pay us for. Uh, if you're in a state with legislative elections coming up, be sure you know what your legislators think of higher education uh, when you cast your vote, uh, because ours are certainly coming coming through on their pledge to make things leaner. Well, there's good news. There's good news that we have a show tonight. We have Civil War studies to talk about. We have Civil War activities to plan for in the future. A lot of good shows coming up. Uh, Also, the good news on the travel front, Matterhorn Travel, run for many years by Ken Block, uh, uh, wrapped up its activities when Mr. Block retired this past year. But his, uh, his tours have been taken over by Stephen Ambrose Historical Tours of New Orleans, Louisiana, Listeners, I'm sure, recognize the name of Stephen Ambrose as a a major American historian, and his uh, descendants, I believe, run this company now. In any case, if you're interested in going on a really uh, entertaining and informative Civil War tour through Virginia, Pennsylvania, Maryland, the hallowed ground tour i'll be leading one of those events this week this uh, summer from may 24 to may 31 and uh, there's always at least uh, one or two civil war talk radio listeners among the the group and then we often meet folks at the different places where we stop who've either been on the show or are going to be on the show or have just listened to the show and it's uh it's a lot of fun so if you're interested in that, contact uh, Stephen Ambrose Historical Tours in New Orleans. I'm sure they can be Googled successfully and uh, come join us in late May for this hallowed ground tour. should be fun. You can also set your calendars to listen to upcoming shows of Civil War Talk Radio. We've got next week the long-awaited Civil War Beards program as we discuss the Hairsuit Faces of Civil War Generals with Anna Hyder and Julia Hyder, authors of Badass Civil War Beards. And then on February 11th, uh, appropriate for the day closest to Lincoln's birthday, David S. Reynolds, editor of Lincoln's Selected Writings, will be our guest on the show. The following week, very much looking forward to having uh, old friend of the show, David Powell. Uh, Dave has written a book on the Chickamauga campaign, full title, A Mad Irregular Battle, from the crossing of the Tennessee River through the second day, August 22nd to September 19th, 1863. Uh, David is also the author of The Maps of Chickamauga. He is he's the um, emerging as the guru of that battle, and it'll be fun talking with him. Aaron Astor joins us on the 25th of February. We have an opening now on March 4th. John Fox, who has written about Stewart's ride around McClellan, will be with us in April. It uh, turns out he's an airline pilot in real life, and his schedule changes all the time. And rather than upset him and risk an accident, uh, I agreed to uh, rescheduling him to make it more convenient. So we'll have him on the show a little later. And then it'll be spring break time, March 11th, and we'll, we'll come back and get everything straightened out. After that, with more shows, Michael Stevenson will be with us and others. Lots going on. Uh, Please join us for those. Send your suggestions, your comments. Go to the website impedimentsofwar.org. Click on the donation button there and send me your cash. It is not yet tax time, but these donations are not tax deductible. They're just for fun. Uh, Since there's no chair's retreat to enjoy an adult beverage with my fellow Quasi-administrators, uh, I'll just have to buy a a pint of uh, Knob Creek or some other appropriately Civil War-related beverage with your donation money. So, there you have it. Um, also used for the Civil War Talk Radio Book Fund. I, I hasten to add, but still not tax-deductible. Uh, at the website, you can also find out who's going to be on the show. And, uh, as I said, send... To my email here anytime you want suggestions, comments, or who you'd like to have on the show. A lot of good suggestions have come in lately. I'm following them up and I appreciate them, and it's always good to know what you think. Well, tonight we have one of the editors of a a very well received collection of essays, Gateway to the Confederacy New Perspectives on the Chickamauga and Chattanooga Campaigns, 1862 to 1863. Uh, The Co-editors are Evan C. Jones and Wiley Sword, and Evan Jones uh, is joining us tonight. Uh, Evan, are you there? Hi, I'm here. How are you, my there friend? There is. Good. Good, Evan. Good to hear from you. Uh, thanks for joining me on the show tonight.
3: Uh, my pleasure, and um, I'm sorry to hear about uh, everything. Um, I know that you're what, stepping down as department chair later this year, and uh, it, the Lincolnites are going to love to have you back full-time as a, a more productive Lincoln scholar and um and you, real quick, I know we're supposed to talk about our book, but you, <laughs> are you, you're working on one of the um, concise Lincoln Library volumes, is that right, for Southern Illinois University Press? Uh,
2: I've talked with the the folks there about that, and we sort of got halfway into it, and I never settled on a title. I, I very much want to do that. Um, mm-hmm. we, we've had some people, I, I'm thinking we had Lincoln's uh, uh, we had campaign biographies. Uh, Who did that? Tom, uh, uh, I've I've got the CRS syndrome uh, and I can't remember his last name uh, even though he's an old friend. Tom Horrocks uh, Mm. uh, wrote that one. We've we've had a couple others who contributed to that series. It's a great series. Obviously, you're familiar with it.
3: Well, uh, I I wish you the best in your um, uh, upcoming retirement from serving as department chair (laughs) and I look forward to Reading your books in the future.
2: Well, I, I, I oh, thank you very much. I'm going <coughs> to excuse me, clear my throat here. Uh, oh, I, I appreciate that. I will say I'm, I'm looking forward to letting someone else uh, take over. I, I sometimes feel like uh, 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 you know, Floyd and, and Pillow at, at Fort Donaldson, where oh, i no. say, "Okay, here, uh, uh, y- here, you take command. No, you take command. No, you take command." I'm and then Mm -hmm. walking away and let someone else uh, handle the the dirty work of surrender. Uh, We're not going to surrender the ideals of the modern university after 500 years just because uh, there's a temporary fluctuation that that is cutting budgets unreasonably. But we are Mm -hmm. really uh, uh, fighting a a, a tough action right now. And I am looking forward to stepping down and being able to focus on uh, Civil War scholarship and teaching and all the things that brought us into this in the first place. So let me, what brought you into the, the Civil War world?
3: Well, I, I probably like most of the folks who you host on this program, um, it, it bit me early on in life. I uh, first became interested in it when I was about seven years old, and it's something that's always stayed with me. I've, um, I have I really sort of feel that my interests, I have a foot in two worlds, I, I really also I'm um, uh, endlessly fascinated by the, the rise of the civil rights movement and the, the complexity of the Jim Crow South. Um, but also, uh, it, it's it's a lot more accessible in a lot of ways to study the Civil War. And uh, I worked uh, for a number of years with the National Park Service at uh, four Civil War national battlefields. Uh, two were in the Eastern Theater and two in the Western Theater. Um, and I don't work for the Park Service anymore, but uh, I think that it's it's been a, a really... Magnificent ride so far, and, uh, and and really probably the great thing is, is as you know this this field is is so amicable. There's so many wonderful Civil War scholars, both professional scholars and uh, freelance authors out there, and that's I, I think really the, the greatest thing. Working on Gateway to the Confederacy was uh, getting to work with so many wonderful people, including uh, uh, the young uh, Gerald Prokopovich at East Carolina University, who contributed an essay to the project. So it. It
2: does. I was I was going to ask you what is your favorite essay besides mine, but uh, <laughs> in the book. But, uh,
3: but you're oh, right. It, it, it would definitely be chapters one through ten. Uh, would definitely be uh, my favorite. Uh, and and to our listeners, there are only ten chapters in the book. So there you go.
2: Well, and and listeners, you'll be familiar with uh, the names of these people: Russell Bonds, uh, Dave Powell, who will be on the show shortly. Uh, bonds has been on before craig simons has been on uh Stephen cushman and and uh caroline janey were both on in the past year uh and also of course the two editors uh and uh william glenn robertson who mysteriously have not gotten to, to have on the show but that'll have to change uh, mm-hmm. so we've had a lot, of, a lot of a lot of familiar names on that um well i i want to backtrack a bit because you mentioned your interest in uh, the civil rights movement and uh, I'm looking at your educational background. You study at the University of Virginia with Michael Holt and Julian Bond. Uh, Professor Bond was just here at ECU to give a lecture uh, earlier this academic year and I got a chance to meet him. And uh, That must have been quite an experience to work with someone of, of that uh, historical stature.
3: Well, it, it really was, um, it, it was going to, I, I was fortunate to have been a student at the University of Virginia, I think, at a very special moment in the history of the history department itself. A lot of the people who I studied under both the Civil War scholars, um, the uh, American South scholars, and so forth, are not there anymore, they've either moved on to other institutions, uh, as you know, one of them is the president of a university right now, and uh, and Julian Bond has retired from UVA I believe um, but yeah it was and it, it was really quite something I remember watching the movie Ray um, uh, where, while I was a student there in the theaters and at the end of the movie Julian Bond actually plays himself in the film, so that's hmm. uh, there, there are too many uh, experiences that a person can have like that in life uh, so yeah it was a, a, a magnificent ride
2: Wow. And then you said you worked at uh, four Park Service institutions at different times. For, how did you get into, the, in, into that gig? That's something a lot of students say they'd like to do.
3: Yeah, and, and I, I really believe that, it, that working as at what Robert K. Crick has called a, a seasonal staff historian at a Civil War park for the National Park Service, I, I might be wrong about this, um, but I believe it seems like it's more accessible now than ever students to do, to work summers for the National Park Service, I sort of blundered into it by accident. I attended a a conference um, when I was in high school, and both uh, Robert K. Crick and Terry Wenchel were among the speakers, and, uh, you know, just sitting around the dinner table one night at the symposium, they both started telling me about how the Park Service has this program to hire temporarily college students to work for uh, summers. And you wear the Smokey the Bear hat and the, the whole nine yards. I had no idea. So um, that was really something, like I say, that I sort of fell into by accident. And my I got my start at the Vicksburg National Military Park. I, I don't even think that I would have ever lived in the state of Mississippi for uh, any other reason leading up to that. And that turned out to be one of the most wonderful moments of my life, just living in Mississippi and working at that magnificent national park and getting to work closely with Terry Wenschel. He was really the first historian that I, I uh, came to know in my life. And um, yeah, so it's, but uh, like, for example, at Gettysburg College, the Pohanka Fellows Program and uh, other programs that are out there, the Student Career Employment Program, the Student Temporary Employment Program, SCEP and STEP, as it's called inside the Department of the Interior, there, there really are a lot of avenues now for students to work as um, public historians so I, I think it's magnificent and if, if there are any students listening to our conversation tonight, I would say uh, look into it in any way that you can because not only is there really nothing quite like working at a battlefield, but at the four parks that I worked at, I actually lived inside the national parks and uh, for example working uh, at Vicksburg, I lived I'm inside step in. the National Just, Cemetery. And and you step know, Mark Twain for a Second Avenue yeah. I
2: seem to step in for a second. We have to take a short break and we're gonna come back and talk more about your experiences there. Also about the book tonight. Uh, we have a lot to cover the book, Gateway to the Confederacy. The co editor is Evan Jones, our guest tonight. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio.
1: Streaming live. The experts call toll free right now 1 866 472 5787 and ask our all star team to answer your questions. That's 1 866
0: 472
1: 5787. Thank you for calling VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio.
2: Talking tonight with Evan C. Jones. He is co editor with Wiley Sword of Gateway to the Confederacy New Perspectives on the Chickamauga and Chattanooga Campaigns, 1862 1863. Uh, the book is very well received uh, by the reviewers, uh, Civil War Monitor, Civil War Books and Authors, and others, uh, published by Louisiana State University Press. And uh, I'm not trying to unduly promote it uh, because I get a piece of the action. I have an, uh, an essay in it, but that's not why we do these things. The real uh, benefit here is, uh, from my point of view, is an honor to be in the company of some excellent scholars I mentioned in the first segment who contributed to the book. Uh, Evan, I, w- I want to jump ahead and, and talk about the book, uh, as I'm mentioning it here, and ask you how how you came up with the concept for it, uh, how, what role you play as an editor in, in making this all happen.
3: Well, um, I, I would say that probably this project was is a kind of swan song that harkens back to my time in the National Park Service. It seemed to me that of the four national parks that I worked at, Chickamauga and Chattanooga, for a variety of reasons, really seemed to be... Uh, among those events, really the most misunderstood, the most underappreciated, and the most uh, underrepresented in the historiography. So I, I guess the only agenda I really had with this project was to try to pull a team together to try to fill some of the most uh, startling, troubling voids in the scholarship out there. And um, I, I could be wrong, but I, I, I think that we accomplished that. And um, But as to my role as an editor... Uh, you know you, you you really kind of uh, sort of view a little bit of everything um, which can both be a well more of a blessing than anything else i would say
2: well i'm i'm thinking about again pulling this together uh did you come up with a list of people you thought i 'd like to have uh i'd like to have her and him and those two people in the book or did you just go to the membership list of Civil War Historians Society uh, and start start calling out random names? Uh, were these people that you'd met along the way? I'm I'm curious, what what combination of you know planning and serendipity brought this group of authors together?
3: Well, it, it was kind of a rolling admissions process that I, I would have. Uh, so the, the project really had sort of a life of its own for at least a year, I think, before Dave Powell and I uh, came and knocked on your door, because I, uh, along the way I would have these sort of road to Damascus moments where, like, like in your case, the light bulb just went on in my head one day, and I thought, we, we really should have something in the book about the 1862 Chattanooga Campaign, which you know better than anybody else. Almost there, There's like three or four books in the world that deal with that. So, um, so we had already had a number of essays completed before I came in contact with you. But so it was really, like I say, sort of a, a rolling process where I I would try to connect both, um, really, really, I would say the topic first and then, and then think about who I could reach out to, who would be a perfect fit for that topic. So for example, um, and, and things, things didn't always work out meeting, um, the topic and, and the contributor. Um, so, for example, Carolyn Janey, uh, she and I originally, when we first talked about this project, we had discussed trying to find something about a, a chapter, the, the final chapter in the book about John Wilder and Wilder returning to Chattanooga after the war and becoming mayor of Chattanooga and helping to found the Chickamauga Chattanooga National Military Park and what that would teach us about reconciliation and everything else. And what Carrie found was that you know, the soul of who Wilder really was after the war, I think, is, is something that we may never know because there just aren't enough letters out there written to, from Wilder or from Wilder, at least that we know that we can locate at this time. So then Terry mm-hmm. um, changed her topic from that, from that to the genesis of the Chickamauga Chattanooga National Military Park, and then we saw emerge the themes that became um, uh, salient in her magnificent book, Remembering the Civil War. So I, 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 I hope that that sort of answers your question, but also part of it was really just kind of going down the laundry list of, uh, uh, you know, a who's who of Chickamauga-Chattanooga-related scholarship, um, which is why we brought in, uh, you know, Dave Powell and William Glenn Robertson and the like. At one point mm-hmm. we reached out to Peter Cousins, but he's busy right now uh, writing about the Indian War, so he was not available.
2: Well, it, the, the concept of the book, I think what contributes to its success is that it does take so many different approaches that you have. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, Caroline Janey's concluding chapter that reflects the things she talks about in the, the book on remembering the Civil War, and Stephen Cushman's chapter is is essentially is similar to the one in his, his book on the five writers uh, from the Civil War, where he writes about Ambrose Bierce. So these are these are cultural and social histories, and then you've got uh, some real you know, down down to the the ground military history in uh, uh, Dave Powell's article about uh, in innovation in the Army of the Cumberland uh, for those who who like this, and and I'm one of them. The discussion of you know August Vilik uh, uh, experimenting with uh, four lines instead of two lines uh, for tactics and uh, rolling fire in advance and uh, discussion of using different kinds of weapons uh, the, the the real tactical minutia uh, you know Dave points out it's significant it's not just rivet counting it's actually uh, important mm-hmm. so so you've got you've got a wide range of things you got this the sort of traditional Monday morning quarterbacking, which general made the the biggest mistake uh, with the the, the piece uh, with, with Robertson's piece on uh, the the orders that went astray at Chickamauga. So so you was that part of the intent to just take all these different approaches to the same battle?
3: It it was. I would say that the DNA of the book, more than anything, is modeled after uh, Professor Gallagher's series, uh, Military Campaigns of the Civil War at the University of North Carolina Press, and um, where he, he sometimes pulls in aspects that, that take the reader far beyond the battlefield. So we, yeah, we wanted to uh, march in the ranks with the troops at different points and, and be around the, the campfires at the councils of war, but also uh, do things like what uh, Steve Cushman does in his essay, where Mm -hmm. it opens in California decades after Chickamauga with Ambrose Beer struggling to um, articulate his own human experiences atop Snodgrass Hill at Chickamauga and how that compares to the reality of what took place there. So it, it, yeah, I, I, it it was very much intentional to try to mix in um, the social history, uh, the the military history, the cultural aspects. and, And we even, I'm happy to say, get in, uh, some of uh, uh, my former boss, uh, Jim Ogden's, biases in Chapter 1 that Russ Bonds was so magnificent to put in there about um, what Jim Ogden calls the military-industrial heartland of the Southern Confederacy there, and the, the, the Chattanooga was the gateway to the Lower South in that region. So we even get a touch of um, the, the industrial-economic importance of the region, and as you know, we, we do something that almost nobody does, is we talk about Confederate mining operations, um, which, which I think probably is one of the, the last areas for labor historians of the antebellum South uh, to really look at. I know you're probably familiar with Douglas Blackman's Pulitzer Prize-winning book, Slavery by Another Name, about uh, the, the mining in the Jim Crow South. Um, and I think that um, there, there's so much has been done about slavery and the cane breaks and the cotton fields. Mm-hmm. And, and I could be wrong about this, but I don't think that there's a book out there about mining – in the antebellum South. And, and that's one thing that I took away from this book, is I think that would be, if they're in graduate students uh, sitting in their styles at Chapel Hill or New Haven right now, that I think that would be a magnificent uh, topic to do a dissertation and first book on, is um, is the mining uh, aspects of slavery. There, There's uh, Bond of Iron
2: by... Uh, uh, oh, yeah, uh, by, by Charles Dew? Charles Dew, yeah, that's what I'm yeah. thinking of. That That's not mining... Iron production, I suppose, by slaves. Uh, it, you know, that's a fascinating book where he he explores that uh, aspect in, in the Shenandoah Valley. But mining itself, no, I don't. Nothing comes to mind that 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 covers that topic. And the essay you're talking, <coughs> excuse me, the essay you're talking about, uh, uh, the first one in the book, "The Funnel of the Universe," the Chattanooga country in the Civil War, uh, by Russell Bonds. Uh, Bonds uh, was on this show to talk about uh, stealing the general. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people, everybody knows that story uh, if from the Disney movie, if not from from uh, Russ's excellent book. But I, I have to agree with you. His essay, setting the, the strategic importance in, in economic as well as military terms of this part of the country, uh, is, is very effective. When I show my students in Civil War class uh, a map, a railroad map of the country in 1860-61, and just give them a quick visual test, if you had to break the Confederate rail net into two sections with the fewest possible cuts, where would you cut it? And they immediately recognize that Chattanooga is completely central to the uh, uh, to, to the Confederate Rail network and mm. that it's it's an obvious strategic point if you if you break it there and I think Atlanta and Charleston you're, you're almost done, uh, so uh, so this essay is very successful I think in in pointing out it's not just the just the railroads but also the economics the mines it's it's a it is a very good piece and I enjoyed it let me ask you about your essay um, sure. you write about. Uh, Ah, uh, Grant and Rosecrans. Uh, it's called a malignant vindictiveness. The two-decade rivalry between Ulysses S. Grant and William S. Rosecrans. Uh, the first thing I have to ask is, what what did you think when Frank Varney's book came out on essentially the identical topic?
3: So I, you know, I I, I won't lie. Um, I and and I'm not I'm not proud of this, but I, I've not read. Uh, Dr. Varney's book, I understand, mm-hmm. is magnificent. And um, I, yeah, when I remember um, having a conversation with the publisher Ted Savis at mm-hmm. the symposium. Oh, this was probably this may have been a, a good two years before our book came out, and he was telling me about Dr. Varney's book and how it was it was going to print. And I, I, was, um, I, I, I was, I was, I probably spooked at first, which is a, a bad attitude to have. But then I. You know there's there's that book. There's another book, uh, a military biography of Rosecrans that was published by McFarlane maybe a year, a year and a half ago. And as I understand, both of them are are really magnificent works. Um, and I you know, prior to all of this and prior to uh, Albert Castell and Brooke Simpson's collaborative book, um, Victors in Blue, really what dominated the conversation about Rosecrans was, William Lammers' book, which was published, what in like I don't know, nineteen fifty-two or thereabouts. Sixties or yeah. And, pardon me.
2: Yeah, I was I was going to say early sixties, but you you're probably right.
3: It's earlier than that. Yeah, and and it's um, Lammers Lammers' book is is quite good, but of course, it, it's time for new work on Rosecrans, and um and and I feel even in the work that I did, I just really scratched the surface of 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 this figure that, that was so influential to the larger war effort and, and still remains so elusive among historians today. So I think that, um, uh, e- even though I'm sort of burned out on Rosecrans these days, which is why I haven't had the opportunity yet to, to read, um, Dr. Varney's superb book, um, I, 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 I would, I would hope that, that, uh, Professor Varney or someone else would write a full-blown biography of Rosecrans that that looks beyond the war. Um, Professor Gallagher recently published a few words about the Varney, or about the William Lammers biography in one of the popular Civil War magazines, and he said that there's something like 20 or 30 pages of the book that deal with Rosecrans's life before the Civil War and after the Civil War, and 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 Rosecrans did a great deal both before the war and after the war, and and again, that's we we know very little about that. Um, so I, I I would hope that so w- one of these gents would would do even more work about rosecrans in the coming days
2: well it, it's I, I agree I think he's an interesting figure and, and not as widely studied as many others uh, I've, I have read uh, professor Varney's book and he, he was on the show to talk about it and it it's it, it's a good book I think I, I enjoyed mm-hmm. it and learned from it uh, it runs the risk of of being polemical. The uh, uh, listeners will remember the, the the full title of that book was General Grant and the Rewriting of History: How the Destruction of General William S. Rosecrans Influenced Our Understanding of the Civil War. So there's your spoiler in the title. You know oh, what he's going to yeah. be talking about. Uh, but your essay uh, very much tracks what he says. It, it it's I find it, I'm very interested to. Here you say that you had not read the book. Understandably, when you wrote this essay, it, it, I know when I wrote mine, it was a couple of years ago. Uh, and then it takes a while for a book to come into production. So uh, it's not uncommon for something to appear after you've written, but before you have published, and then something else shows up. And it's, uh, it can be an uncomfortable moment if you think you're being scooped.
3: Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, um, and, and also I would just add to that, just in terms of the way mm-hmm. that I work, speaking for myself. Um, I and when you look at the footnotes that I use for my essay, it, it's very much what was said at the time. There, there, uh, almost all of my sources come from um, uh, archival documents, uh, the Rosecrans papers at UCLA or the Ord papers at UC Berkeley or, or the published grant papers, and so I, I really just tried to keep sort of sort of take a step back from my own biases and just display this this ongoing 22-year conversation between these two men who were, went from being friends to rivals to bitter enemies. And and in that, I, I also um, wanted to try to, in, in order to, to attain what I hoped would be so, some kind of a fresh perspective on it, um, like take, for example, uh, Leslie Gordon wrote a magnificent essay on Grant and Rosecrans working, fighting side-by-side uh, during the Corinth campaign in North Mississippi in 1862. And I, I read that. That's one of the last things that I did in my research, was I, le- I read that... Last after really, I had had written yes, and then I went back and changed some things based on her um, really uh, thoughtful conclusions. But um, so I, even though I do, of course, wield um, the historiography that's been done by others.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
3: something that I I try to do last um, in my own writing process. That I, I really try to to sort of um, uh, again so that I don't try to I don't take a step in the wrong direction following the path of someone else's work or try, or developing a severe bias against or for one of the people I'm writing about. I really just try to facilitate what, what folks said at the time and, and present that to the reader, and, and hopefully the reader can draw their own conclusions.
2: Well, that makes a lot of sense, a reasonable way to proceed. We're going to take another short break now. We're talking today with Evan C. Jones. The book he co-edited is Gateway to the Confederacy. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio.
1: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
0: Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
1: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio.
2: co-editor, along with Wiley Sword, of Gateway to the Confederacy, New Perspectives on the Chickamauga and Chattanooga Campaigns, 1862 and 1863, uh, a book of essays that is receiving a lot of good reviews in the Civil War press, and uh, I'm happy to say it was uh, I had the opportunity to contribute to and enjoyed doing that very much and uh, enjoyed reading it since it came out. i since I had my own essay and I didn't pick it up right away and start reading, but uh, sort of picked away one or another and uh, they're all good. All the essays are really uh, interesting and informative and all very different. That's one of the strong points of this, as we talked about in the second uh, uh, section of the show, was that, that there are many different approaches taken, uh, all of them well executed, I, I think, but not... Uh, it's not more of the same. Uh, uh, if, if you like one essay, next one's going to be different. Hopefully you'll like that one, too. Uh, and we were just talking at the end of our, our second section, uh, Evan, about your essay on Grant and Rosecrans. Uh, you have also, besides writing this, uh, editing this, uh, organizing this, you, you worked, as you said earlier, at a number of Civil War battlefields uh, over mm-hmm. time. Uh and you've also mentioned to me independently that you've done some fundraising for Civil War battlefields uh, with some success. How how did you get involved in that, and how, how did it go?
0: Well,
3: so I, I grew up in California, and every year on the West Coast there's a, an annual symposium, which is how I, I first uh, came to know professional Civil War historians uh, going all the way back to when I was about 13 years old. And every year at the end of these conferences, the, the, the proceeds would be donated to various preservation charities across the country. And, and in fact, the leading organizer of the annual event was um, Oh um, Jerry Russell, uh, the late Jerry Russell in Arkansas. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as you know, he was enormously active in battlefield preservation. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I, I have been fortunate to have worked with the various boards that organized that event over the years, and helped to uh, uh, do some of those conferences and, and uh, various town hall meetings and other things on my own and working with uh, private uh, donors on my own, folks across the country, uh, to try to just target different land sales. Um, it just turns out that this isn't really by design. It turns out that all of the things, the the donations that I've been active with have been in the Western Theater in Mississippi or uh, in Tennessee. Um, but that's... that's um. You know, talking about how how specialists work with the National Park Service, I would also say to any of the Civil War enthusiasts listening to us uh, today that, that that's also really quite a, 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 a lasting achievement. That once you raise money that purchases land, uh, h- historic green space in in an effort of land historic land conservation, and then that land is set aside. And like, take for example, at Raymond, Mississippi, uh, the retired Brigadier General Parker Hills down there. He's almost single-handedly worked to purchase the Raymond Battlefield in Mississippi, and that, um, acreage will one day actually be annexed onto the National Park Service. So to be a part of that, that's one of those really, um, worthwhile contributions, um, that, you know, can never be taken away from, uh, an individual or the organizations that raise that money and buy that land. So it's, it's, it's really quite gratifying.
2: Well, so you've got your hand in a lot of things. Do you have any current writing projects underway?
3: I, I am. In fact, um, what what you said a minute ago about how nobody, <laughs> nobody likes to be scooped, uh, I, I'm happy. I haven't been scooped yet, um, but um, I, I'm currently working on a book that I've been working on for a number of years. It's very similar to Brian Matthew Jordan's uh, brand spanking new book, uh, Marching Home, um, but where... Um, uh, Dr. Jordan looks at uh, the Union Odysseus figure, right, the, the combat survivor emerging from the Civil War. I look at the Confederate Odysseus figure and um, what I call um, them traveling the road from Appomattox Courthouse, the crooked road that led into what ultimately became the Jim Crow South, and how the, these realizations that they pick up along the way, seeing with their own eyes um, the post-Appomattox, post-emancipation world that they're they're walking into, and nobody really knows what to do next, um, that that's, uh, so So that, that's what I'm working on now. Um, and it's, um, it, it, more than anything, it, it's really modeled after Leon Litwack's been in the storm so long where uh, Professor Litwack looks at the black South, I look at the white South, emerging from um, the, the slave-holding institutions and emerging from the Confederate defeat. Well, uh, let me let listeners
2: know that uh, Brian Jordan, uh, who Evan just mentioned, uh, who has a new book on uh, the the return of the union veterans is scheduled tentatively to be on the show on March 25th. So we'll be talking about that book uh, in the next couple of months. So Evan, you've been in the storm so long. Leon Litwack's classic book about slaves is based largely on the, uh, the, the new deal, the, the, uh, the, the tapes, um, I'm blanking on the name, the the, the the tapes that were recorded during the 1930s of the last surviving uh, slaves and and the, the, the few enslaved people who were still alive at that point. Your work, obviously, must use different sources.
3: Yeah, I, I'm really glad that you brought that up. Um, as a student, I was, of course, taught that the... Um, uh, all of these interviews with former slaves were problematic for uh, researchers to use. And then right. I read uh, Professor Litwack's book and was actually really, really amazed and impressed as to how effectively he, he wielded those voices. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, so where, where he, 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 he literally, right, uses the voices, not the writings, but the voices of, of former slaves, many of whom were um, either largely or entirely illiterate, um, but but that that's largely a recollection from the New Deal era. Looking back at the collapse of, of slavery, what I do is I, I use almost exclusively um, letters and diaries written at that moment, at the time in 1865 and 1866, of of Confederate War survivors, white Southerners, um, uh, talking about the, what they're going through, and and these new, like I say, realizations about what life is going to be like for for the white South. Um, in, in this post-emancipation world. So it, 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 what I'm working on is very much a conversation with Lit-Lack's, um book that I think is a masterpiece, quite honestly. Um, but it's, it, it, it's, it's different voices and different sources.
2: So it, 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 it's a reflection of, of the wide and varied interests that people have in the Civil War era. Uh, I, I'm sure you hear the question occasionally. I certainly do sometimes that, uh, well, what... What else is there to write about? Haven't we covered everything in the last 150 years? But this interest now in the issues of the veterans, of the post-war adjustment, uh, obviously reflects contemporary concerns that we have in our own society. The uh, This ties in a little bit with the Jim Crow uh, South's origins that you're mentioning. Uh, and I'll just throw this out there Mm-hmm. unrelated to your work almost. Uh, on, our, on our campus right now, uh, ECU is undergoing a controversy. One of the dormitories uh, here is named for uh, Charles B. Acock, who was governor of North Carolina in the early 20th century, and was known as the education governor because he started uh, a lot of schools and supported public education heavily. But he also was uh prominent in disenfranchising uh, African Americans and pushing through a constitutional amendment that would accomplish that and was uh, a very overt white supremacist who who mm-hmm. broke up the 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 uh, populist uh, and moderate democrat and republican coalition through the wedge of white supremacy and, and he made no bones about it he was very open and and uh, clear that that was his view And now there are some students and faculty who think that name should not be on a dormitory here. Uh, It is quite surprising, not surprising, it's quite, uh, well, I'll just say it's generated a lot of heat on campus. And it Mm -hmm. suggests that uh, these issues that you're exploring, that have their roots in the period you're exploring, are are far from uh, dead, boring, uninteresting historical issues.
3: Yeah, well, and, and I think that um, e- even though as we, we talked a minute ago, I, I'm a former Julian Bond uh, student, and um, as awesome. you and I were in touch a few days ago, um, you know, uh, my my uncle was a clergyman his co-pastor was the great Vincent Harding, who was a speechwriter with Martin Luther King Jr. My uncle worked with Dr. King for years. Um, so I come from a civil rights family, but at the same time, I really do believe that it's it's an egregious misstep for us as a self-governing people to, to really bury the past, to take mm-hmm. like what, um, there was a dormitory at Vanderbilt. This was already like 12 years ago called mm-hmm. Confederate hall or something. And there was a controversy about literally chiseling Confederate or something off, off that building. And then there there's the, the, um, ever present controversies around the various statues of Nathan Bedford Forrest mm-hmm. in Nashville and Memphis and other places. And, um, I, you know, I, I just think that we, it's just a mistake to, to, to bury the past and, and, you know, go along Confederate Avenue in Richmond, for example, and, and melt down uh, the statues and replace them. I, I, I think that we need, it. once we do that, if we were to do that, and, mm-hmm. and we, um, we lose a, a sense of self-awareness about, uh, about how the fact that the, the, the history of this country really is quite ugly, and, and if mm-hmm. we don't face that and we don't remind ourselves of that, then what's going to prevent us from falling back into that? In some way or another, we're obviously not going to go back to Jim Crow or slavery, but mm-hmm. there's, there's there's plenty of missteps that we can make if we, you know, like like dynamite, you know, the, the faces off Stone Mountain in Georgia or something like yeah. that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it's a fascinating question, and, and from a public history standpoint, it, it intrigues me professionally. Uh, I, I think the danger of uh, forgetting history is... Is, is one every historian is cognizant of it. Of course, we don't want to eliminate or, or forget about these past figures. Uh, but the question then moves into one of what are the purpose of monuments or building names? Uh, are they to remember? or Are they to honor? Uh, are there better ways to remember? Or are there more equitable ways to remember? Uh, it's always a challenge. There's no, no simple mm-hmm. answer to these things. My My alma mater, University of Michigan, had some uh, beautiful artistic bas-reliefs uh, by Marshall Fredericks, uh, a major mid-century artist that portrayed a very s- sort of traditional view of gender relations It showed what young men ambitious to be world travelers and young women ambitious to be wives and mothers and nothing else. And it was mm-hmm. great artwork, but it was no longer appropriate on the administration building. and. The clever solution was to take them down to clean the building, and then put them back up in a historical setting in a library instead of on a government building. Basically, Mm -hmm. thus proclaiming we remember and we honor and we look at this as history, but it's no longer our policy. Uh, So there, there are the role I'm playing here as historian is to try to get people to see these, these subtle gradations. No, you don't take it down and forget it. But no, you don't leave it up in a place of honor and, and leave it out of context. Uh, mm-hmm. So anyway, that's the argument I'm trying to make. I'm, I'm getting off on a tangent with you here. Uh, you are working uh, on, on another book. You've got this excellent book out. You've got all kinds of things going. Uh, the funny thing is, I don't know. Did This is certainly the longest conversation you and I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we may have talked once or twice briefly on the phone. Uh, mostly communicated by email, but that's how the modern world works. We could be collaborators on a project without ever getting this this opportunity to, to sit and chat. So I'm sure. glad we finally got to do it. Uh, I wish we had more time. I'm looking and the engineer's telling me we are out of it. So I will just remind our listeners, gateway to the Confederacy, new perspectives on the Chickamauga and Chattanooga campaigns, 1862 to 1863, co-edited by Evan C. Jones and Wiley Sword. It's it's a book I was uh, delighted to be invited to be part of and enjoyed participating in, but really, really enjoyed reading the other contributions, too. And listeners, I know you'll like it, too. Evan, thanks for letting me be part of this, and thanks for joining me on the show tonight.
3: Thank you, Jerry, and uh, hopefully we'll see you soon.
2: I I hope so. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio.
1: Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.